You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week 10 of Sacred Rhythms on the topic of fellowship. All right, we're going to get started. Cindy and I are co-teaching this week, so I'm going to let her start, and then we'll tag team. Tag team. I'll even move this up a little because I know. <laughs> so here we are, the completion of the study. And uh, just wanted to thank you for sharing your your thoughts and your heart as we've been on this journey together and want to just encourage you as you continue forward. Um, So as we wrap up, I had a few thoughts that I hope will free us and encourage us because I know when we were together and we're kind of motivating one another, we're kind of going in the flow, but then when we stop, we're not stopping. I mean, we are not meeting, but this trip journey continues so the first thing is we simply cannot achieve the intimacy and holiness on our own without the spirit within us so God in his grace he gives us the invitation but then he also provides us with the spirit to enable and empower and equip us to be able to fulfill what he's called us to do which we cannot do on our own so it's him and his great work so we're not passive we join him and we get to receive the benefit and the joy of being part of his work so in this group there are those for whom discipline may come a little easier than others you don't have to raise your hand (laughs) but i know in a group like this there are and so this maybe was a review uh, which is good um We all need that as we go along the journey uh, because we know that there are pitfalls and all kinds of things to distract us along the way. So kind of coming back and getting this review and encouragement is a good thing. So there are others where discipline may not come so easily. And uh, so we're tempted to compare ourselves with those who seem to have it together and then we feel like we come up short. So I wanted to assure you, if you're feeling overwhelmed with some of the things we've gone over, number one, there's no condemnation, there's no judgment, because we're all in a process, all caps process, um, of sanctification. And there's enough daily grace and mercy to help us along as we go. There's no shortcuts for anyone. And... um, As with other training, we begin, we're highly motivated. You know, the January, we go to the gym and everybody's motivated and then it kind of peters off. This is kind of human nature. So don't be discouraged. We can exchange the weakness within our own human nature for his strength. His strength is made perfect in our weakness, which says to me, he knows we're weak and he knows where we get our strength from. 2 Peter 1.3 promises his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. This is available to each one of us. 
John 15 also says, without him, we can do nothing. So this is not discouraging news because we have him. He has provided his word for us to meditate on and to know him. He has gifted us with the communication of prayer. He has placed us in a body where we can fellowship and grow together. And he is the one who enables us to love with his agape love. So, his word, prayer, fellowship, (laughs) and love. So the Holy Spirit equips us in all these things. So more good news is that God is at work in you. Whether you see it or not, he's promised. He's at work in you both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. So he even gives us the desire when we are kind of petering down and we're needing that. We can ask him to increase this desire to continue on. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He's the fuel our spirits were desired designed to burn. God cannot give us happiness apart from himself because there's no such thing. C.S. Lewis said that, and if I dare add to C.S. Lewis, neither is there holiness apart from himself. So, my sisters, let's keep our eye on the goal, not on our shortcomings, which is a distraction, not on one another and comparing another distraction, but on the goal. Hebrews 12.11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. (laughs) Yet to those who've been trained, discipled, taught by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So let's stimulate one another to press through the pain and the inconvenience of discipline so that we don't experience the relentless regret of missing out. There's the pain of discipline and training, and then there's the pain of regret. Which one would you rather go with? Regret is relentless. So the goal is holiness, so that we better know, enjoy, and glorify the Lord now, all the while preparing for eternity with him. So these rhythms that we've chosen, Bible, prayer, fellowship, um, we see how there's an exchange in each one of them. They each involve ways we get to commune intimately with God and we grow in our sanctification, beginning with the exchange of our righteousness for His. That is the bottom line. That is the beginning point. We're exchanging our righteousness, which is filthy rags, for His. <clears throat> As we're discipled in the scripture, we discover much of the heart of God communicated to us and our eyes are open to see himself from his own words. So we exchange our own lens and faulty perspective for his truth. And we experience joy as we see him as he truly is and not according to our misperceptions. As we pray in response, we're communicating our heart to God and aligning our prayers to match his truth. Remember prosukamai? This is another exchange. To interact with the Lord by switching human wishes for his will as he imparts faith. That was what prosukamai is. That is the prayer. The word for prayer. 
and as a result we experience joy in relating to him as we do to no other because he knows us deeply and sacrificed fully for us. And then as we live in fellowship in koinonia, we stir up faith within one another from those things that we've been revealed to us through the word and prayer. <clears throat> so we exchange in koinonia our own natural love, remember that self promotes or um, self protects for his agape love. His agape love is outward, not inward about self. So we experience joy in communicating and communing with others, making his joy complete. And then another joy is we get to share the joy of the good news to a world desperate to hear it. We get to communicate what we have seen and heard and through the word and as we pray and as we, we fellowship with others who don't have this. And there is a joy that comes from sharing that. 1 John 1, 3 to 5. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, we share with you, so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So remember, read it, pray it, share it. This is where sanctification and intimacy comes full circle and results in joy. So these are truly life-giving, sacred rhythms with a desire to commune with God, to get to know him intimately, and respond by sharing with others. To know God intimately and to share that with others. It's a really simple yet profound way of understanding these sacred rhythms. So today we're going to wrap up our theme of fellowship and also just try to tie all these ends together of what we've been learning about this semester. So to start us off, I'd like to do a quick review with these questions. What is the difference between community and fellowship? What's the difference between socializing and fellowship? And what is the unique bond that sets Christian fellowship apart from other relationships? Now, we just talked about these things last week. <laughs> but sometimes I find that I don't actually know if I've grasped something until I try to articulate it. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so a little interaction here. What is the difference between community and fellowship? And this is not, there's not one right answer here. But just as you think through this, how, what ideas come to your mind? What would you say? Community, I think of like large group and fellowship and more like intimate. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely an element of that. It's hard to be intimate in a huge group. <laughs> right. What else? Mm -hmm. Yes. You connect with in a different way. Yes, that's huge. 
So community, to your point, Lindsay, like community can happen anywhere, right? Sometimes it's just, you don't have a choice. You just end up in community because you live on the block that you're in, <laughs> right? But then other times um, it is more intentional. And so fellowship then, I'm going to, so fellowship is uniquely Christian, right? Like that is something that we don't say, oh, I fellowshiped with my friends at the gym this morning. Like no one says that. <laughs> Unless they love the Lord, then you might fellowship with them at the gym. But really like that is... Um, that's a huge difference. So that kind of leads into the, the third question, actually. What's the unique bond that sets fellowship apart from other relationships? Jesus is the bond. Right, yeah. You have Jesus, I have Jesus, we have fellowship. Right, exactly right. So he's the common denominator, and we're bound to his life and to the life of one another through the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, what about socializing in fellowship? You you know it right. You can feel it. Well, how did you? How would you describe it? It's a little more shallow. Yes, definitely, mm -hmm. definitely. So more depth with fellowship. The terms that come to mind are empty and full. Okay. Yeah. There's a fullness to fellowship. Um, sometimes I feel that like leaving leaving a social gathering. You know if you've had fellowship or just socialization, right? The one good thing like you can take from that is sometimes socializing can lead to fellowship. Yes. Like we can socialize with people in our community that maybe aren't believers or aren't regular church members and so it's not necessarily pointless or like it can be fruitful eventually. Yes, absolutely. And I would say like for those of us in Christ, we should always be looking for those opportunities to use socialization to then um, bring, the, bring the conversation around. So, yeah, absolutely. Anything else? I would add to fellowship that it's more intentional and sacrificial mm. than socializing. Mm. Anybody can talk about the weather, but it takes depth to really talk about deeper things and like seek people out. Yes. Yeah, that definitely doesn't happen naturally, just if you don't try. Yeah, that's huge. So it's kind of come up, but the, I think the easiest distinguishing factor is conversation. That was one of the things that we talked about last week, is, um, is am I willing to take the conversation there? Or if someone else takes the conversation to deeper things, am I willing to engage? Am I willing to be vulnerable? Um, those sort of things. Um, but not only just the subject matter, but just even our perspective. I mean, I think that's, Lynn, that's what you were getting at, is like we have a different outlook on life. And so um, you know how that is when you have that common ground with someone, the way you see the world and your circumstances is going to be drastically different than someone who has a different worldview. Um, and also, so we're talking a lot about interpersonal relationships, but I'd be remiss to not reiterate Gathering for corporate worship is absolutely fellowship. So that's not dialoguing with one another in, the, in that setting, but being united in worship of God through singing those truths to the Lord and to one another, testifying to who he is. We're united in prayer. We're under the preaching of the word. Like those are rhythms that bind us together. And then um, hopefully that continues to spur more dialogue and fellowship as we leave that space then as well.
So, okay, good. Um, let's look at another contrast. I have a couple more questions for you. So God gave us instructions to not only how to relate to him, but also how to relate to one another. And when we actually follow those one another commands from scripture, yes, God is certainly glorified, but it's actually also for our good. <laughs> He's told us how to create relationships and an environment where fellowship can thrive, if you think about that. So my first question is, what are the characteristics of a healthy Christian community that promote fellowship? Like if we actually follow those one another's and someone's watching from the outside, what would those distinguishing characteristics be um, for how we relate to each other? And then the second question is, what are some hindrances to fellowship? And we don't just say sin, okay? Like, actually think about what specific. It's like Jesus and sin. Those are the answers, right? Um, don't think about it as a broad category, but think about specific things that would stand opposed to God's one another commands. And then also, there are a lot of things that are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, like as far as it depends on you, but just are a part of being in this broken world that can also interfere. So these are things to consider as well. So I'm going to assign a question to each of the groups, and I want you to see how many things you can come up with. Just make a quick list, and um, somebody should write down your thoughts, because then I'm gonna have you transfer them to the boards. I know we can't all see the boards, but I'll read it often. Um, and just kind of like put all our thoughts together, okay? You understand? Okay, so let's do the characteristics of Christian community if we follow the one another's with this front table and the middle and the back. Okay, and then opposite hindrances to fellowship up here and then you guys and back. Okay, and I'll give you about five minutes and then I'll have you write it on the board. Okay, go ahead. Okay, pencils down. Everybody pick a representative and go right on your boards, and you don't have to take turns. There's three markers at each spot. So just go and get the thoughts up on the board, okay? Okay, I'm going to start looking over them. Um, we'll start, I'll start down here. This is, guys, I'm totally impressed here. Yeah. I can't believe how many things you came up with. Oh, me of little faith. Okay. <laughs> Um, all right, so characteristics of Christian community, um, trust, selflessness, serving, friendship, care, humility, understanding of needing the same sufficient Savior, what? Confidence in Christ, grace being extended, um, Christ, God at the center, loving one another, I'm trying not to repeat things, joy, vulnerability, humility, servant's heart, forgiving, listening, commitment, looking for the needs of others and then meeting those needs, time in together, respect for each other, encouraging one another, eating together, hey worshiping together, <laughs> raising families together and pouring into each other's children and accountability. There's so little overlap, you guys, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So remember how I said we image God together in relational community? So like first, when we see these things, we should see the character of God in how um, the Father, Son, and Spirit relate to one another, but then also how they relate to us, okay? So much of this 
is how they relate to us. And then we therefore relate to one another in the same way. And you have a lot of different practical applications of that. That's really good. And I, also, as you think of this, like, don't you want to be a part of that? <laughs> like, that sounds amazing to me. And as you look over that, you're like, man, that really would cultivate an environment and a community where trust and respect, like you can actually share um, and entrust yourselves to one another with those sort of characteristics. So good. All right, so hindrances. We have gossip, fear, anxiety, judgment, broken trust, unforgiveness, holding on to personal lies, busyness, excuses, selfishness, shame, inability or unknowing how to be vulnerable, past hurts, pride, feeling unworthy, personality differences, distractions, too high a view of self and too low a view of others, too busy and distractions again, gravitating towards people who are only like us, um, a lack of connection, lack of commonalities, immaturity in the faith, conflicting priorities, selfishness. So much. You really could kind of counteract those two. Do you see how they're opposites? But then there's also this psychological element. You guys actually hit a ton of them. I'm like really impressed. Um, a psychological element of things that keep us back from fellowship. So that's not even necessarily sin or unbelief. Sometimes it is, okay? But sometimes it's from a past experience that you had no control over. And that's how it is. We live in a broken world, okay? Just as we are sinful, so are the people around us. Um, but when it comes to those things, it really does take a different level of trust, first in God, to re-enter, okay? So if you have something of that type of hurt in your background, just know that that does not have to be the end of your story, all right? There is always healing and hope in Christ. Now, as I thought about this contrast, I had some sobering realizations. So the whole is made up of parts. I am one of many parts. And that type of community doesn't magically appear. We don't just go around shopping for it, right? It's built by individual parts. And as a disciple of Christ, I am to be building and cultivating that type of community wherever I am. So this means I have a responsibility to contribute in a Christ-like manner and not only seek to consume. But as I consider that personal responsibility, I'm like, hmm, I'm confronted with my own inability to do that really, really well, right? In fact, my sinful propensity is to default to some of those things which hinder and break down fellowship. And I'm just one part of the whole. Every single one of us has this same responsibility, and every single one of us is broken and disordered <coughs> by sin. So how can a community of sinful people ever hope to actually experience fellowship? That's what I was left with. I echo Paul's sentiments in Romans 7. What a wretch I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Do you know the next verse? 
But thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The good news of the gospel makes the impossibility of fellowship a reality in Christ. The impossibility of fellowship a reality in Christ. Christ has defeated the power that sin holds over us. So this still might be my default some days, but it no longer has to be my lived reality. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The ideal Christian community would only be a theory if it were not for the transformative work of the Spirit in our lives. And do you know what else the gospel does? It levels the playing field. Any sort of prideful stance I take against someone or over someone is stripped away at the cross because of my own sin against a holy God. Milton Vincent writes, The cross exposes me before the eyes of other people, informing them of the depth of my depravity. If I wanted others to think highly of me, I would conceal the fact that a shameful slaughter of the perfect Son of God was required that I might be saved. But when I stand at the foot of the cross and am seen by others under the light of that cross, I'm left uncomfortably exposed before their eyes. Indeed, the most humiliating gossip that could ever be whispered about me is blared from Golgotha's hill and my self-righteous reputation is left in ruins in the wake of its revelations. And so, we bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We are gracious and merciful because that's how God treats us in Christ. The gospel informs us of a savior who displayed the ultimate humility in giving up his life to save us. This is agape love, the unconditional, outgoing, sacrificial love of God. And we image him well when we sacrificially love and serve one another. But what's the counterpart to giving? What's the counterpart to giving? Taking. Right, receiving. If everybody's giving, no one's receiving. You see? And sometimes that's a little harder to do, right? Lancaster County, what? <laughs> okay, it's a lot harder to just receive. We want to prove ourselves worthy and we want to pull our own weight. But again, the gospel teaches us that we were dead in our sins. Can a dead person help themselves? We can't earn our salvation. We only receive by God's grace. And so the lived experience of needing others' help, both practically and spiritually, is a gentle reminder of this gospel truth. There will be seasons of life where you don't have any capacity, or maybe far less, to give and to serve. 
and that's okay. We carry one another through those seasons. There's relief and joy to be found in the interdependency of the family of God. Do you see why the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be the common denominator to our community? Regardless of all our other differences, we are joined together in Christ, and it's only through him that we're rightly oriented to God and then rightly oriented to one another. And it's only through the power of the Spirit that we can actually be transformed to, to image Christ in that behavior and to say no to sin. That is a work of the Spirit in us. This doesn't mean this is going to be easy. You know this. Community, fellowship, takes work. We are free from the power of sin, but not from its presence. We will battle sin until our last day on this earth. Yet since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence to God. Your personal sanctification strengthens the fellowship of the believers. Yet you cannot grow to maturity without the fellowship of believers. This is part of good, God's good design to sanctify us, that we would together glorify him in the world. Christ will build his church, each one of us growing in holiness, love, and devotion to him. Jesus the bridegroom is coming for a spotless bride. Can you see how <clears throat> holiness and intimacy are in, both in that phrase, spotless is holiness. Bride is intimacy, just a relationship that you have like with no other person. Where the two become one, where you're set apart for one another. <clears throat> Think of it as a bride. Did you need checklists to make sure, you know, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna talk to my, my groom today. I gotta make sure I don't I don't not talk to him or I just I I include him. You don't you don't make a checklist for that. You are so involved in doing this thing together in in the process of, of planning a wedding and process of planning your lives together, it becomes natural. It's a joy. Your heart is inclined toward his and you want to be there wherever, whenever you can. That's the kind of demonstration of love. That is when Jesus comes for his bride, he wants that kind of, of heart for him. Um, <clears throat> so when, when you're thinking about, as a bride, your your husband, your future husband, you are meditating on the ways who he is and the ways that he has demonstrated his love toward you, some of the romantic things or whatever. Um, so we too abide in, that's what meditating is, abiding in his love, where our feelings follow our focus and it builds trust as we do. It's a natural response of love to follow him. When we consider the depths of love that Christy just pointed out, how could we not overflow with gratefulness and love? So again, he is doing the work in us as we respond to him. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. I'm going to read it from the voice. This is an admonition given to husbands, but it was based on the example of Christ as our groom. So listen to the verbs here. 
Husbands, love your wives so deeply, purely, and sacrificially that we can understand it only when we compare it to the love of the anointed one, Jesus. The love he has for his bride, the church. We know he gave himself up completely to make her his own, washing her clean of all impurity with water through the powerful presence of his word. He has given himself so that he can present the church as his radiant bride, unstained, unwrinkled, unblemished, completely free from all impurity, holy and innocent before him. Can you hear the verbs that he has in relation to us? He has been, he has been working behind the scenes and he continues to. He washes us with his word. How could we not respond as a radiant bride? <clears throat> According to Jewish tradition, the betrothal period is called Kedushim, which begins with the ceremony of pledging lives to each other, set apart. And it, it begins with a ceremony, and then there's this period, an interval in between. It could be up to a year before the actual consummation, the marriage ceremony. So Kedushim actually means set apart, sanctified. It's a legal binding covenant where they pledge to keep themselves only for one another. Think about it. Before you do the homework assignments, the prayer has been that we have an undivided heart, single-hearted, without all anything else coming in. This is like that. <clears throat> After the betrothal ceremony, the groom would leave for an unknown period to prepare a place for his bride. Does this sound like John 14? I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you so that where I am, there you will be also. So we are in this time period. This is the interval that we are in now. This set apart, the sanctifying part between the betrothal, when he, he, set, up, he set us apart, he set himself apart and sealed it with his blood. And then when he comes again for his bride, a radiant bride, we are in this time as we await the return of our bridegroom. So before he left, the groom would leave his bride with a token of his love, a seal, a promise that I love you. And you look at that every day as a reminder. And it also would, would be a, this is, I'm coming back for you. So this corresponds to the Holy Spirit in us. He brings to our remembrance those things that Jesus taught, the ways that he showed and demonstrates his love for us. He also is with us in the waiting. When we, we go through times of discouragement or whatever, we need correcting and comforting. He is he's the sealed. Does anyone here like to wait? No hands? No, none of us like to wait. So even God, in his goodness, while we're in this interval, he provides his presence within us to, to, to be that comforter, comforter and teacher and discipler and bring those things into our remembrance. Like he's just done it all, hasn't he? So the bride, not knowing the day or time he would return, 
would always be thinking of him with expectancy and looking out for when he comes for her. So she would be preparing herself. She would have her garments ready, not wrinkled or anything, just, just, just ready because she doesn't know when it'll happen. <clears throat> this, my sisters, again, is us. This is who we are. We're his bride, cherished and treasured. We are individually and collectively part of a bigger story of love and redemption. We wait out of a heart of love and expectancy because we know he is coming and he will fulfill his promises. We have the Holy Spirit reminding us and living with us. As we love him, so too we love his bride and we honor her for his sake. So sometimes, Christy pointed out, it's easy to see the spots and the blemishes in his church, in the bride. We are all on a growth journey, individually and collectively, to become one. That is his prayer. So there are bound to be bumps and bruises along the way as we live in this world. It's part of our sanctification. But as we, um, as we receive those, again, as she pointed out, that we extend the grace and the forgiveness that has been extended toward us and to honor the bride as he does. In fact, we can, we can keep that prayer of John 17 always before us that we would be one as he and the Father are one and that we will be one with him as we are married to him. So I'd like you to stand with me. <clears throat> Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. And the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So I'd like us to pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are coming back for us. That we have this great assurance. You have given us the Holy Spirit. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have given yourself so sacrificially. You have given us your love so that we can both live and abide in it and also share it with others this agape love that doesn't come naturally all of these things you have done for us thank you lord for the time that we've spent together thank you that you have called each one of us individually and collectively to be your representative to be your bride lord i pray that you would increase our awareness for you every day as we spend time in your word as we spend time just communing and communicating with you through prayer and, and bring us opportunities as we step out, Lord, and continue this journey. Thank you that you are there with us, that you are for us. And Lord, I just ask your blessing over each one in this room, that they would know your presence with them every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
And from Jude 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling into sin and to present you unblemished in the presence of his glory with triumphant joy and unspeakable delight, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and power before all time, now and forever. Amen.